All right, January 2nd, 2013, and I'm here with Chris and Debbie Kleinstra, and uh, this is kind of a little bit of a different interview because I've known you guys for, has it been 12 years you've been here? Ten. Ten years. Well, yeah, a little over ten. Ten years that you guys have been in Sandpoint, so I've been here for the birth of your two children, um, got to know you guys, you've been here at Kootenai Community Church. Not actually there at the birth. Right, I wasn't that good <laughs> clarify that. I wasn't actually at the birth. I've been here in Sandpoint when your children were born in Sandpoint. Um you guys have been in the mission field before, but now you've been here at Kootenai Community Church for the last 10 years, and now you're going back to the mission field. So this is actually like a pre-missionary interview of sorts. So I want to ask you some questions about um, you guys. And the whole goal of this is so that other people can get to know you the way that I know you and better than I know you, and I'm sure that things will come out here that I don't even remember or know about you guys. So where, as a beginner, where are you guys headed? What mission field are you guys headed to, and with what mission organization? Well, we're headed with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship, and it's uh, MAF for short. We don't actually know where we're going yet. We're going to find out in a couple weeks um, where we're headed. So uh, that's that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be a maintenance specialist, and uh, Deb's going to help me out. So. Now, you have served with, this is Chris, you have served with Mission Aviation Fellowship in the past, right? Yep, I've served with them as a uh, pilot mechanic. And uh, now I'm just going to be a maintenance specialist this time. So are you going to be a pilot at all? Nope. Mission field? How long ago did you serve with MAF? Uh, about 11 years ago. So. And you have really, right now, no idea what part of the world you're going with or what your what your work is going to entail. Is it going to be overseas, do you know? or, or uh, It's going to be overseas. Um, we kind of assumed it would be Indonesia where I was before just because of you know, language study, and they have quite a few of the uh, Kodiaks, which is an airplane I've been working on for the last 10 years. And Debbie, you were a missionary before as well? I was, with New Tribes Mission in Papua New Guinea. This was back before you guys were married. Right. Correct. And what year was that, that you guys were in the mission field? I was uh, there. 11 years ago for you? Yeah, 97 to 2001, 2002. Okay. And so now you guys are married. You went to the mission field single. Uh, now you're married. Did you guys meet on the mission field? Yeah, we met through uh, mutual friends, um, friends that had gone through the training, New Tribes training with Deb and uh, the family. Um, he was a pilot mechanic as well with New Tribes, and he had the same, their hangers were right next to each other. So we uh, did stuff together all the time, and uh, he says, well, I happen to know the perfect person for you, and <laughs> and I've heard that a hundred times before, <laughs> but they were right, so... Yep, and his wife wrote me over in New Guinea and said, I found him, and I said, sure. <laughs> we were old singles. Missionaries like to get old singles together. But I flew over to uh, Pontianak, Indonesia, where Chris was, and met, and a lot of long-distance writing, getting to know each other over the next couple of years. Chris uh, still was going to be overseas till the end of 2001, and I was coming home, and we just did a lot of writing and got to know each other, and... God's timing was perfect. Through email or snail mail? Email. And there was no Skype or nope. teleconferencing back then? Nope, just oh, email. Just a lot of it. It was very good. It was a great way to get to know each other. Okay, so let's back up a little bit further. Back to you guys' childhood. Both of you grew up in Christian homes, is that true? Um, I did, yep. Uh, Christian home. Um, and where, where are your family from? Uh, from Michigan, West Michigan, little town called Zealand, Michigan. Yeah. And how did you come to faith in Christ? Um... I was eight or nine, uh, third grade, whatever age I was in third grade, um, actually watching a Billy Graham crusade on television. And 
it was after the Billy Graham crusade that um, went upstairs and said my prayers, and Mom was up there, and I said I wanted to give my life to Christ, and that's what I did. Wow, and so you had grown up in a Christian family, had gone to church, mm-hmm. and that's when the Spirit of God called you was through that crusade. Yeah. Interesting. How did you become a Christian? Uh, at church. I went to a Baptist church back on Long Island, um, Long Island, New York, and my dad didn't go to church, and my mom didn't go to church much, but my grandma took us, and we went to Sunday school, and then, um, and yeah, uh, the, anybody want to come forward, raise your hand, and that's what I did. I felt the Lord, I mean, I was only seven, and as far as my seven-year-old mind could understand, I uh, gave my life to Christ. But it was over the years that he's really grown me. But, yeah, it was when I was seven. And eventually my mom started coming to church, and um, and it is my dad's church. He just doesn't come a lot. And so now both of you... Um Grew up through your teen years, walking with the Lord in a Christian family, growing, maturing, being discipled. Yep. And how did God call you each individually to the mission field? Um, I was in high school. I always had an interest in aviation, airplanes, flying or maintenance or whatever, just working with my hands. And I also liked to help people. And uh, that was just the way that the Lord said, hey, you can do this. And I just found out about um the school I went to, Laterno University, which had an aviation program, and that was just... Is that where you learned to fly? That's where I learned to fly, yep. So did you go to college with the in, the intention of learning to fly so that you could go to the mission field, or just learning to fly because you were interested in airplanes? Uh, I went to Laterno to be a missionary pilot and camp, so that's why I went. So you learned how to work on airplanes as well? Right. Yep, did both. And when you got out of Laterno, you went directly to the mission field? Uh, nope. After Laterno, um, I worked a little bit around home in Michigan, a little bit, a um, couple, three years. And then a friend of mine from college called me up to Alaska, and he said he needed some help up there doing aircraft maintenance and a little bit of flying. So that's where I went, gain experience. They want you to have experience before MAF won't even take you. You don't have a certain number of hours or experience. So oh, I see. most guys go through a bunch of stuff even before they get to MAF. So how long was that that you were doing that? I was up in Alaska four and a half years. Uh, four and a half? Yep. Wow. Yep. So uh, it was great experience. I worked on a variety of different airplanes and, and got to fly for them as well. And the whole time you're expecting that you're going to go into missionary work of some sort with MAF? Yep. So yeah. you spent the four and a half years basically being interned as a missionary pilot, so you could pretty much just could do that. Get, get any experience, so a lot of valuable experience. And you just knew that this is what God wanted you to do. This was just his calling on your life. Yep. No just, sky writing in the sky or anything like that. No I special just, message in scripture. Just felt that's just where the Lord was directing me. So. And, and so, what year did you go to the mission field? It was. I think I started applying to MAF the first time in '97, and or maybe it was '96, and then went over uh, for three and a half years. '97, um, '98 started, and came back home December of 2001 because I heard about the project that I'm working on right now. So, so you came back from the mission field because of what you've been doing for the last 10 years. That's correct. We'll get to that in a bit. Okay, so how did? You get called to the mission field, uh, There was uh, uh, handwriting in the sky. Sorry about that. <laughs> I went to college, and uh, between my junior and senior year, I never had an interest in missions. I mean, missions was interesting, but I was not heading in that direction. But I felt like my walk with the Lord was not what I wanted it to be. I knew I was missing something, but I didn't know what it was. 
So our college had an opportunity to go um, overseas on a missions trip to Papua New Guinea. I went with two other college students, and then uh, we met up with another team. And those two months over in Papua New Guinea changed my life, and it challenged me to start pursuing foreign missions. And that was just a short-term mission trip? Short-term, two months. With what college? Uh, I was with the King's College, but I went with Pioneer Missions. And uh, it changed my life. I came back from that for my senior year of college, totally with missions in mind. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. But student loans were there. And I was looking to see what mission board did I want to go with. And uh, in my senior year, I also was challenged to go on another short-term missions trip with New Tribes Mission. That's where I discovered I really like what they're doing and the training that they had. So I was in Venezuela for a month um, right after my senior year, but I went home and I knew uh, I needed to pay off my student loans. So I was on the 10 years pay back my student loan plan. I lived with my parents. Everything I made went towards my loans, and I was done in five. So when I was 27 years old, I started off to school again um, to Bible school. New Tribes has a training, two years of Bible school, one year of Missions Institute, and then a year of language school. So, so after Bible college, you went to Bible college. Right. Right. It's so um, I was older than most of the students, um, but it was a great experience. Um, so, yeah, at the time it wasn't a degree, but by the time I finished, I got my bachelor's in in um, in missions. So how did, how did you get connected with New Tribes, decide to go with New Tribes as opposed to any other missions organization? When I was at the King's College, and that was when it was in Briarcliff, New York, they did um, they sent out their Africa teams from New York City, and so the closest place for them to have orientation was our college. So I sat in on some of the orientation for the kids going on a short-term missions trip to New Tribes, and I was like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Why don't I go on a missions trip with them and see? I just appreciated the training, but when I went to Bible school, I'm like, I'm 27. I know everything. I'll get through Bible school in a year. Ended up staying the two years and learning tons, went through Missions Institute. That's more practical training, learned tons. Language school wasn't teaching me how a certain language, but how to learn a language. I went through missions to be uh, a tribal missionary to translate the word of God, and that's what I went through the training for. But God had other plans. So So did you you didn't learn another language? I didn't. I learned how to learn a language. I learned phonetics and Have you learned any languages since then? I had to learn uh, pidgin when I learned when I lived in Papua New Guinea. So yeah, I did okay. So how long were you in Papua New Guinea? Three and a half years, one term. And then they asked while I was there, they had asked a few times, would I come home and be the assistant dean of women at the college, at the Bible school? And I said no the first time, and the second time I said yes. So I came home, took six months off for more deputation, and then went to the Bible school for a year. And it was after that that you guys met. In all that, when I was in Papua New Guinea, and he was in Indonesia, here we were leaving the same time, around the same time, and didn't know each other at all. And um, towards the end of my time, 2000, is when I met Chris, August of 2000. And so he was in the middle of his term. I was towards the end of my term. So we were both overseas when we met. And for those of us who graduated from Sandpoint High School, or maybe attended Clark Fork for school. How far apart are Papua New Guinea and Indonesia? Uh, about 3,000 miles. So, I mean, at some point, they border, have bordered, but there's Indonesia has 13,000 different islands, so it's it's spread out quite a ways. So we're about 3,000 miles apart. Like flying from New York to California. 
Wow. So you guys, uh, the providence of God that brought you together, really, through mm-hmm. that couple. Yep. 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 It's pretty amazing because you kind of start to think it's never going to happen. I know this is a story of Chris's, but he was uh, seeing a girl in Alaska and it didn't work out. And, you know, you start to think, Lord, what am I going to do? I want to go overseas with a mate. And, am I going to be single all my life? Right. Yep. And and what, and God was just like. He said, just go be faithful and um I'll work out the details, and and I went deputation training and uh, raising my support the first time. I stopped at a church, and and the pastor says, you know, you could be stationed on the moon, and, and God could find you a wife if he wanted you to. So just go. And I said, all right. So he trust in the prophets of God. Me. Right. Found me on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It showed us both. I mean, we're both in our mid thirties. We weren't young. You start to think that it's not going to happen, and you know, just not that it has to happen. I think we both got old enough where you learned that getting married isn't the prize. It's what it's God's plan. And so it's more about our holiness and not our happiness. And so it was it was good for us at that time. Yeah. And so then how you both coming back from the mission field. Um, when did you get married? How far how long after you met did you get married? We we met August of 2000, and then Chris still needed to be overseas till um, till December of 2001. So still a lot of writing, a lot of emailing, and then he came home December of 2001, and um, he knew right away. It took me a little longer because being single so long, you get kind of scared. <laughs> and then so um, uh, March of 2002, he asked me to marry him. Through email, or were you guys together? No, he came home December of 2001, and then we were together again. He was in Michigan. I was in Wisconsin at the Bible school. So still not together, but close enough where we could see each other and do a lot more talking. And actually, it was when he told me, there's this great job out in Idaho. Um, I want to go and give it a try. I started to think, I cannot be uh, away from him any longer. So March 15th, 2002, he asked me to marry him. And then June 15th of 2002, we were married. Three months. Yep. Three months. But actually, I mean, we wrote a lot before that. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't like we were still getting to know, you know, once right. you're older, you just kind of know, I think. But mm-hmm. And then three months of waiting to hear back from Quest. So that was... You know, he had had other offers here and there, but he really felt like Quest is where God wanted him to be. We waited it out for three months. We lived in my grandma's house with no job, just waiting. So you got married in June. You were waiting three months after that to hear back from Quest. Correct. Right. We waited all that time. Every day we'd come home and look at the machine to see if it was blinking and there'd be nothing. But in August, they called and he flew out for an interview and got the job. And then I got sick, and he had to move out here without me. So. so how did you hear about Quest? We'll get to what Quest is here in just a minute, but how did you hear about Quest? Um, I heard about it when I was on the field, um, just because it's an airplane company, and and their desire was to build an airplane for missions. So we just heard about it, and this guy had a, an idea to build this airplane. And, and MAF has connections with Quest. Correct. As far as there's agreements there, and, and yep. they know of each other, and yep. they kind of have a mutual partnership. MAF has like, like seven... Uh, Kodiaks right now, so they've, they've gotten quite a few. And um, so I heard about it. They heard that they needed someone to do sheet metal work, which I had done quite a bit of, and just repair work and and putting airplanes together. So I volunteered, basically. 
And so that was kind of another way of serving in an, in an industry that you're familiar with and right. and loved. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I just wanted to see this airplane get made for missions because I know that there's a great need for it. So, so what is what is Quest? Is this a big company, small company? Um, it's uh, what do they do? How are they funded? How do they run? Well, it's a it's a small company, um, aviation wise. I mean, there's only about 150 employees probably right now. Um, they build one airplane. Uh, started from nothing and totally designed a whole new airplane uh, for mission work as well as just you know um, for anybody actually. What is, what is unique about the airplane? Um, it runs on um, turbine fuel, which is readily available around the world, uh, as opposed to like some some of your smaller airplanes run on ab gas, which is highly refined fuel and it's very expensive and it's hard to get. And so it runs on turbine fuel, which is more like a diesel. And uh, it's just easily found and readily available and runs cheaper. Um, it's a 10-place airplane, high wing, uh, short field and takeoff, very ruggedly built. Um, perfect for the mission field. Perfect for the mission field. So that's kind of the, in the sense that's the way it was designed, somewhere that this airplane could be used in the mission field or anywhere. So. All right. How many airplanes does Quest make? One, one style, one kind? Uh, just one kind. Um, since uh, certification in, I don't know, it's been about three, four years ago since they certified it. We built uh, 85 aircraft so far. So. so there's 85 of them out. How many with mission organizations? Um, probably about 15 or so. Yep. And the rest are. Owned by private individuals? Uh, private, uh, government, um, small um, chartered uh, companies, so they can use it almost anywhere. So, yeah. Are there plans to increase the number of airplanes and the type of airplanes? Um, right now, it's going to be just one airplane. Concentrate on it. Uh, get it built. Uh, right now, they're they're building one every ten days. Uh, they hope to bump it up to one every seven working days. So. It's uh, it's a um, assembly line basically. So they start one, you know, it takes a few months to get out the door, but every seven days one goes out the door because it's a total process of right. how they build it. And so you started off at Quest doing sheet work or sheet metal work. Yep. Um, I started, assembling airplanes. I started there doing uh, assembly. Uh, they started. They had one aileron, I think, when they when I started. They didn't have anything else on the whole airplane, so I helped. Along with two other guys, uh, built the prototype, got it uh, flying, certified, and tested. And uh, So you've flown this plane that you've built? Yep. Have you flown all of them? Not all of them. Not quite. A, a lot, lot of them. A lot of them. Quite a few of them. He's been the test pilot for um, even number, I think it was number two or number three, even from the beginning. I mean, yeah. whenever they'd ask him, he would do it and do other flying as well as needed. There is a regular test pilot there now, but... Chris can fill in. So we've seen it from the start. So it's been exciting for us to see how it all comes together. We've seen great times. We've seen hard times. But we just keep praying for God to use that company because we believe that plane is is uh, well-equipped for for helping things go easier overseas or wherever. So you started off as a sheet metal kamikaze pilot and now <laughs> the president of the company? <laughs> no, not president. I'm still, how has your job changed in the last 10 years? Um, I've kind of done a little bit of everything, and now I'm basically at the end of the uh, assembly line where I do uh, the test runs. 
uh, get the airplane ready to go, make sure it's safe. Do you oversee a lot of the assembly? Uh, not so much the assembly. I just um, I do the final inspection or help with it at the end. Um, do the final rigging of the engine. Um, do the test runs. Um, do the uh, calibration of all the instruments and that kind of stuff. So you know this plane from fender to fender, pretty so close to yeah. nuts, the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know everything, but I I've had my hands in a lot of it. So, are you going to be flying a, a Kodiak? Nope. I am going to do just uh, the maintenance. So, who knows? I can do maintenance on the Kodiak, or I can do it on any other aircraft they have. So, you'll likely be somewhere at a mission station uh, working on airplanes, maintaining airplanes for other pilots. That's correct. You're probably flying a little bit to keep your numbers up and stuff. Uh, we'll see. Um, I volunteered. I said, okay, I can fly if you want me to. But they said our greatest need right now is for maintenance, and uh, I'm happy to do that. Do you have a desire to fly? Um, I do. I enjoy flying, but I... I think my greatest desire, if I were to choose one, I would probably do the maintenance. Really? Yep. We did. We asked some friends in the beginning. We're like, and he's an MAF pilot over in Indonesia, and they've been good friends since Alaska. They knew each other in Alaska and then ended up as MAF missionaries, um, not together, but in two different places in Indonesia. He called him, and he's just like, what do I do? You know, he asked lots of people what, you know, at least a few people who knew the mission work and... They're like, we desperately need maintenance specialists. And so that kind of helped. You know, they, well, they're like, not that pilots are a dime a dozen, but we, we have pilots. We need somebody who's going to stay on the ground and fix these. And so that really helped him make his decision. You know, he asked some of the people at MAF, but he helped. He asked this good friend, and he's out there, and he's like, we need maintenance specialists. So that was very helpful. We were a little surprised. you think you'd kind of want both. But, um, but even when we were down getting interviewed and stuff, they're like, people want maintenance specialists. They're like, you know, that's when we first realized that maybe we wouldn't end up in Indonesia, that, that people, fields are kind of grappling to have one of these. And You could go anywhere. Yeah, I think that was just a surprise to us. You know, we want to be available to do whatever, but, um, but I mean, I think it's a good fit, you know, if that's what his, his strength is and that's what he's good at and, just to be open. You never know what God's going to yeah. ask you to do. So. so the time at Quest, building airplanes, maintaining airplanes, has uniquely sort of equipped you for that even more than you were before. I would think so. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of a common sense, I guess, that I've worked on it and uh, have this experience. And um, Lord's blessed me with that. And I kind of Are you likely it. to be working on some of the Kodiaks with MAF, depending on where you're at? I would think so. I hope so, but honestly, I, I don't know where I'm going yet, but I would I would think that they would look at my background and say... Let's put him where the Kodiaks are at. Exactly. <laughs> he built yeah. it. Let's let him maintain it. Right. That's what I'm hoping. So now you've been to Sandpoint for 10 years, and you moved here in uh, fall of 2002, is that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what has the last 10 years brought to you in Sandpoint? Tell me about your time in Sandpoint for 10 years. Kids. <laughs> yeah, we have two kids. Lord's blessed us with two great kids, uh, Sarah and Benjamin, and it's just been a growing experience. Um, just not only work-wise, but you know, of course, newly married, uh, growing in our marriage and in our relationship too with the Lord. So that's really the first place that you've lived long-term as a couple. Yep. Bought your first house here. Yep. Bought our first house and sold our first house. So. <laughs> Yeah, Lord's blessed us with selling our house. Yeah. Not only with a great place to live, but also being able to mm-hmm. sell it as well. So. Yep. And tell them about your two kids. Who are they? How old are they? And what makes them unique? 
Uh, Sarah is seven, and Benjamin is five, and, um, unique. What makes them unique? They, uh, I think, um, we've talked about all this with them, and, um, and I am with them 24-7, so for us to go to classes this next month and not be with them, they seem to be fine with that. Um, I think they're excited about going. They've already asked, you know, we didn't know if we'd be in Indonesia, but Sarah's already like, can we look up what kind of fruits they grow in Indonesia? So their minds are already working that way. And um, I don't know. I just feel like God has made it so that they realize that moving isn't a bad thing. Chris and I have lived in one place our whole lives when we grew up. So it was hard in in the beginning to think, how dare we uproot our kids? Is this going to be bad for our kids? This was not just a spur-of-the-moment decision. This was, let's check with our parents. Let's check with our elders. Let's check with our close friends. So this was a step-by-step, and me being nervous, what are the kids going to be like? And and Chris is just like, the kids are going to do great. You know, they're very flexible. But um, I think God has um, shown us over and over again that they will be okay and that we just need to keep Keep him first, keep our marriage first, and then uh, our kids are right behind that. And then what's left goes to the ministry because this everything will fall apart if our family falls apart. Yeah. So I, I like the way that he has, um, even though we're older and we're starting over again, I feel like we're blessed with um, the knowledge that we've learned here the past 10 years in a good church uh, ladies' Bible studies, other couples, and the things we've learned, we have a solid foundation of maturity, age, whatever, to step off from. So I think the kids, you know, I think the kids are going to do great. And um, I think they'll be a blessing and an asset going overseas to get to know people better. Are they nervous at all? No, not that I've ever seen. I don't know if they really truly understand what we're going to do, but they're they're happy to be with us, and that's what we're happy about. Yeah, there's there's some security just in knowing that yep. mom and dad are together, and they're no, yep. they know what's going on, and they've got a plan, and mm-hmm. so we're good to go. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes in the beginning they were like, "Well, what's daddy going to do?" I'm like, "Well, this is what daddy's job will be, but we're in this together. We are Team Pinestra. We are. This is not somebody going off, and this isn't just Chris's. This is us as a family doing this ministry together. So that's what we keep trying to bring up to them that this isn't something separate. This is us." So I think it will do good things for our family. And if that gets in the way, we know that that's what comes first. You know, what good is serving? I mean, you well know that. What good is is serving if your family's falling apart? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. There's no blessing there. It's wood, hay, and stubble. So I think in the past, it might have, uh, thoughts might have been different in the way. I think that just the way the culture was or the time was. But I even asked MAF about that, and they're like, yes, relationships, family, those things are important. So I loved hearing that from them, that this is where the priorities are, and then the rest will just come. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's where the blessing comes from and the work comes from, not, you know, your family isn't an extra. That's where it starts, and you work together. So I think that's what they see. So for 10 years you've been here in Sandpoint, part of a good church, I hope. What areas have you served with in your local church? Um, more service, I think, uh, as I personally, you know, just kind of helping, uh, help Sunday school, help my wife teach Sunday school and, and picking up after church and setting up church and, and that kind of stuff. Helping count money after church. Oh, help count money too. <laughs> yep. 
Yep, ladies' Bible studies. Um, I helped clean the church for uh, eight years or seven or eight years. And, yeah, I, I feel like we've been uh, a part of what's what was happening here, and it was really good for us. We learned, and I think I uh, feel like we gave, too, a lot of good relationships that we had here, just at the time we needed them. As a newlywed couple, you know, people come alongside to help us with that. Oh, now we have kids, you know. Now we've got godly people to come alongside us and encourage us in that and just different things along the way. We had no family here, so ultimately this church has become our family. And your family comes back to visit you from New York, Michigan, yes. Florida, wherever yep. they're at, at, depending on the season, right? Yep, they do. Um, quite often for kids' birthdays, uh, they'll come out. And, uh, Are they excited about you guys going to the mission field? Apprehensive at, at all? Um, I think they're excited. Uh, I know they're excited, but um, of course they're apprehensive as well. Uh, I think they're going to miss the grandkids and miss us, of course. But um, they understand, and uh, they were kind of unique in this, and so they understand. So being in Sandpoint for 10 years, you've bought a house, you're in a good, solid career doing what you enjoy in a church that's good, serving in ways that you enjoy. Why up and move? What would cause you to say, wow, we need to radically change everything? Geez, right. Let's, let's not do this. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was a mutual agreement. Um, we kind of looked at each other and, and said, you know, this airplane's being built. I mean, they don't necessarily need me to get this airplane built, and um, we decided that you know, maybe the, what we had learned here, the experiences that we had, we could use them uh, in a different area, and just kind of basically where we had been before. So how long have you been kicking this around? Um, April. Probably since April, last April, so it's what, it's... Almost a year. Almost a year, not quite. Wow, yeah. I mean, that's when it so first was the first time, time it came up? up? In April, it did. That's what he said. What he just said now is is kind of what he said. And for me, it's always kind of been in the back of my mind. But I did feel like working at Quest was um, we were doing our part. You know, still were invi- involved in missionaries' lives. But then, yeah, we took like I said, little steps. We checked with our parents first. What do you think of that? We didn't get a no. You know, and then we checked with the elders from our church, and you know, got encouragement that way. And then friends and Never got a no from anybody. So we just kept taking steps, looking to see what God would do with it. So you're just looking for no. All I had to say was no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Don't do it. But I know one, one morning, I mean, I woke up and there's like nothing left on the walls of our house because we had sold it, which was a great thing. And then I just looked at Chris. I'm like, what are we doing? And just the things that you just said were, this is what we were, you know, you're not going to have a job anymore. We're not going to have a home. What are we doing? And. God, you know, just even though sometimes that fear comes up doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. Because I kept thinking of, I was nervous when Chris wanted to get married, but that that didn't mean it was wrong. It just meant you just keep going day by day and praying. And, nervous, that's all it means. Right. That's all, that's all it was. But I think sometimes people take that feeling as, I shouldn't do this, or or it's a no. But that's I've learned that that's not necessarily true. We found, too, that just when you know, one person might be having doubts, the other person is... Right. Really for sure. So we kind of, it was just a one person building the other one up. So which one is for sure? Which one was the for sure? Well, it all depended on the day, pretty right. much. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But In those mostly, beginning mostly days. they were always, you know, but if someone was having doubts, you know, the other one was like, well, you know, I really think this is the way we should go. Mm-hmm. So did both of you have a, this drive or passion to go back to the mission field? 
That's where your heart is. You've done it before. Yeah. yeah. I think we've yeah. never, I don't think we've ever lost that. Oh, I felt like we were doing it here to a point, but I don't think either one of us. I mean, I think with his childhood and all, you know, that desire and mine, all those years of preparing for it, I don't think that doesn't mean we had to be over there in order to serve. But yes, I think that desire has always been there. I know when I came back, they said, were you ever plan to go back overseas? I'm like, well, I, I don't know right now, but if the Lord wants me to, yeah, I'd be open to it. So, yeah, I think it was it was Marty Wendell, you guys know, missionary we support, who said when I interviewed him, I think it was him who said that once missions is in your blood, it's in your blood. You get it in your blood, and then you just, you got it. Yeah, I mean, I could help people wherever, but um, there is a need. So um, I think finding people that are willing, I think, is probably the the biggest thing. So you just woke up in April and said, I, I can leave. Well, I just felt that it was okay. It was okay to leave. So, I mean, I... And then I, the more you start thinking about it, the more it starts to make sense. And Right, right. I knew that um, where I was at, um, not that they always needed me, but I was thought I was being helpful where I was at work-wise. And, um, but I decided, you know, they couldn't do this without me. I can help out somewhere else. So... So yeah, we I mean we didn't just look at MAF either. We looked into, you know, all kinds of mission organizations, but we just kept coming back to to this. He was with it before. They run a good organization. They take care of their people. Not that the other ones didn't, but they just seemed to be the right fit for and they, what, they, what for we what you know and what they knew you. Right. They had a history with you. That has right. made it. Yeah, even when we went back in October, you know, they're like, "Oh, good to have you back." And it just felt like, "Huh. This is, you know, we'll just keep it was a good feeling. You're leaving you know? everything familiar. It's nice to have something right. somewhat familiar yep. to step into. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, so, and yeah. so MAF's happy to have you back. There are other mission organizations you could have had, uh, other aviation True. fellowships. Right. Uh, right. Missions. Um, mission Aviation Fellowship has probably the most Kodiaks right now. They have probably seven of them of, of the different mission organizations. So I knew that. I knew them. They knew me. So it was a pretty easy uh, return, basically. But now they got all us. That was a big hurdle. It's <laughs> <laughs> not just me coming back. Right. The whole lot of baggage now, right? Well, yeah. it's, it's better. When are you guys plan on coming back to Sandpoint area, if ever? Um, there's For a possibility. Well, there's a possibility this summer, too. We have additional training um, coming this summer. It's, um, it's hostage training, basically. We've got to go through. And you have to learn how to take hostages? Uh, how to be taken hostage, I oh. think. <laughs> Does that take skills to be taken hostage? Well, maybe just how you react. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. Um, so we have to come back for that. Um, so that's down in Nampa. So we'll be somewhat close. Yeah. So if time allows, we'd like to come back up here. Um, and and you're not leaving tomorrow for the mission field. This is no. There's still a process that you guys Correct. are going through. Long process. A long process. Yeah. What's, what's that process in time? We're going to be, all of January, we're going to be in Nampa uh, for additional training. That's uh, Napa, Idaho. Napa, Idaho. And it's um, two weeks of Canada, or Canada C, they call it, where they get final acceptance and figure out where you're going. And then two weeks of ministry partnership of learning how to raise your support. And uh, after this month, uh, we leave in February for Michigan, where we'll be basically our home base where our, my family was. And is, and uh, the kids will be around their grandparents for a while. We'll raise our support 
Uh, they estimate probably about a year to raise your support before you head overseas. So are you going to be doing working in a job while you're trying to raise support, or are you uh, going to be job, living off your support while you're trying to raise support? My job is raising support. That's, that's what they want you to do. That's what they want and us they to pay, do. And we do get a stipend during that time. They are taking care of us. Yeah. You know, as soon as we become members, we're, we get insurance, and they pay us so that we that's what, what his job will be. What we can concentrate on is raising our support. Right. Oh, excellent. Yep. So... Um, we just, we've never lived by our family our whole 10 years. We just felt like it was important during this time. You know, we'll be back here to um, keep up with people. And, you know, this has been our home as a married couple, but we just felt like it would be important to be with our family before we were going to be overseas. And so, yeah. so that would be about a year from now before you really actually end up yeah. finding a place. When do you expect to know where you're going to be stationed? Uh, find that out this first time in Napa? Yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks, middle of January, we'll figure out where we're going. They throw darts at a dartboard, pull names out of a hat. How, do um, they, how does that work? We have a little bit of input if we have desire where we'd like to go. Um, they also have their needs, you know, around the world uh, where they need someone to do this work. So they offer it, and and we can either accept or deny. But I'm assuming we'll just we're willing to go where they want us to. So. Wherever the biggest need is, that's where you would head. Right. It could be anywhere. Right. They they know me. They know. My abilities, they know what they need, where they need it, so if they're wiser than I am, so we'll let them decide that. But yeah, we can't go, on, we can't do ministry partnership without having a destination. It just makes everything easier. Like when we know that's when people here will get, um, they'll get a prayer card and they'll get a letter saying this is where we're heading. And um, so, because people are wondering, you know, when will we hear something? But we we will know soon, and as soon as we know. Uh, information goes out from MAF. They take care of all that for us. We provide them with a contact list, which is what we've been working on with the church and um, people to be in touch with. And then what do you expect uh, What do you expect as far as being able to come back on furlough and things of that nature? Is it every two years, five years? I think it's every three and a half years. And they want you back like visiting your churches and correct. giving updates? Yep. yep. I mean, they want you to stay in contact the whole time. I mean, you're overseas. Um, but they also want face to face, you know, every six, every three and a half years, and they give come back for six months. And the nice part about where uh, MAF headquarters is, Nampa, Idaho, is only eight hours from Sandpoint, Idaho. So, I mean, it makes it makes coming back here a lot simpler and sort of along the way. And so we know that we'll be back. Are there any other areas, churches in this area, that are supporting you guys? Uh, no, that we know of. We went and visited. One in Newport and one here in Sandpoint, but um, as far as we know, you know, people are kind of waiting and seeing, you know, what's going on next. So we don't really. How has the missionary support fundraising gone for you guys? Has it been easy? Um, Both of you have been there before, so you yeah, had support. The, the, the actually, the first time I went, uh, the Lord blessed me um, tremendously. I started raising support in August and was fully supported by uh, December end of December of that same year. So that was amazing for me, and I was glad. That's not that it's something I... Um, I don't necessarily like to talk in front of people, but um, it's... Lord blessed it. It's nice when you can stop doing that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all these people, and I know I need to appreciate the time that I'm actually doing it, but uh, it doesn't make it easy, I guess. I know I got advice from somebody who used to... Uh, Karen Botcher wrote me a note, and she said... Appreciate and enjoy the process. Don't just try to get to the end. You know, don't just try, we need to get through this, and then we'll be where the Lord wants us. 
And even in the ministry partnership book we're reading, they're like, this is part of the process. Make relationships with people. Right. And it's, you know, don't rush through it and wish it away. You know, you are where God wants you right now, and there's things to learn in that, too. So it's not an easy thing, but the book we're reading is is good. And uh, just to go back to the day um, when this church, uh, Kootenai Community Church, prayed for us, the feeling I got was, that and the people understood this that, that um, we are the hands and feet going somewhere else that they're all yeah. a part of it so i thought i'd feel uncomfortable that day and thinking you know all eyes are on us but after after the prayer i just felt like it doesn't really have anything to do with us it's everybody working together with us and that is the feeling we've gotten from this congregation that mm-hmm. we are in this together and uh and that has been a great way to to start this whole thing I think we're different than other people. I think other candidates will come from their hometown, go to candidacy, and then go back to their hometown. We are leaving our, this is our hometown. We're leaving it to go somewhere else. So there's just a little bit of extra stress or just a different change. You know, I think that we're going through a lot of change right now. Yeah. Sometimes I've said to people before that, uh, support that is raised quickly can dwindle or disappear quickly. When people make an Im- impetuous or a quick decision, oh, we're going to support them. We'll give them $100 a month, and they make this without thinking or praying about it or really having a chance mm-hmm. to process it. Those are the, usually the gifts that will dry up quickest. So support that can come in quick can also dwindle very quickly because mm-hmm. people make s- split decisions, whereas support that is raised over a period of time ends up being mm-hmm. you know, something more substantial, something more solid. It doesn't because it's based on the relationships, like what's what's – what we have here, I feel like the people who know us and who have come up to us yeah. and said we want to support you isn't because they don't know us. It's because of 10 years of, you know. They of, know you well. Right. Of being in a in a relationship and getting to know people. So that's really the special part about even people who are like, yeah, when you know where you're going to be, we'll come visit you. So, I mean, that's the exciting part that we, it won't be forever, but it still is difficult to leave. So what is the long-term plan? You, you, you have a, are you doing this for life till the Lord comes, calls you home, or just until he obviously directs your path somewhere else? Um, always open to direction, hopefully. Uh, that's what we pray anyway. But uh, as I see it now, um, long-term, just how the Lord uses us, and I know that there's a need. So that's what I'd like and to do. And with our ages, long-term isn't all that long anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are not that old. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm 47. Chris is 44, just for our listeners. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, even if it's the next 20 years, you know, that still puts us, you know, close to 70. And so, yeah, I mean, like Chris said, we're what we've always hoped to have been wherever and whatever. So, yeah. But this is what we hope to do. And our website will have you guys' contact information and picture and all that stuff up. But how best can people contact you? Or keep in touch? I would guess it would be via email would probably be the easiest way, which will have a MF account at some point. In the next two weeks. So yeah. as soon as when that information comes out, that I think this church will be able to, you know, it'll have an MAF email address. And that's probably the easiest way because if we are eventually overseas, our phone numbers won't work anymore. Do you have a website uh, for you guys other than MAF? Contact you through MAF? Uh, uh, 
Like Chris and Debbie Kleinster.com or something. Uh, not yet. I'm sure. I'm sure Deb will probably do some sort of blog or something like that. Find me on Facebook. Who knows? <laughs> Aircraftmechanic.com. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? And how can people pray for you? Um. Well, of course we uh, pray for our relationship with the Lord first off, our relationship to each other, and and the whole time of uh, being together. Now I'm going to be home a lot more, and that's going to be a change and adjustment. So. Just the adjustments, um, of course, raising support. Uh, we know that the support is out there. If the Lord wants us to go, it'll be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for us to be faithful and, and to uh, stick to it. So. I know this book said if God called you, he's going to fund it. So just, keep, you know, because it, it seems um, like a huge mountain to climb. But um, but it's been good to see that, you know, it's the mindset of, Missionaries have to be poor and don't need a lot, and it just it doesn't need to be that. You know, it shouldn't be that way. And so I think we're learning a lot that way, and that um, that it's a, a vertical giving, not a horizontal giving. You're giving to the Lord, and then that person is blessed by the Lord. It isn't anything that we've done. Right. So that was the feeling, like I said in the prayer, that it was you know us working together, not okay. Put your money into Chris and Debbie Kleinstra. They're going to fail you. But, you know, into the Lord's work, there's going to be a blessing. Anything else you guys want to add? Did I miss anything? Is this where you wanted us to do that musical special? Remember, yeah. we prepared <laughs> bringing in the sheaves you or something prepared special like music. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah we have our kids do it. <laughs> um, not really. Just uh, appreciate the time that we've been here. And, yeah. And... Uh, Look forward to see what the Lord has for us. So one last thing I'll ask you, and ask this of every missionary couple, what makes you guys unique, specially gifted or specially qualified to serve in foreign missions? Are you super saints who have some super spiritual gift that others aren't privy to? No, we're not. Uh, we're just like everybody else. I think um, you just want to be faithful. Uh, trust God and keep stepping out, I think, is mm-hmm. the only, only thing that's, we're not really different, same old, same Just old. being obedient, and then you can do that wherever you're at, and we just, that's all we want to do is to, to obey, so wherever that leads you. It was hard for me in the beginning when I was with New Tribes to, um, to not be in it anymore, it's all I knew. And then when Chris decided, you know, this is what he was going to do, we, he gave up. Um, he put his resignation into MAF, and I did not mind to New Tribes at first. I was just, I felt lost. I didn't know. But then I realized, you know, obedience is what he was looking for. Does that mean following my husband to Idaho and doing whatever? So I think obedience in all areas of your life is what he's looking for. It's not the where. It's not the what. It's your heart. So. May God richly bless you guys on the mission field, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you.